Welcome back to the third episode of Pause the Politics. I'm Jack and my co-host is Alex and today we'll be discussing PMQs. Now Alex, what exactly are PMQs? PMQs is a weekly thing where the Prime Minister can be held to account by the Leader of the Opposition and other parties. And it's designed so that the Leader of the Opposition gets six questions and then the other parties get, I think, one question each. And and basically, it's designed to make sure that the government, and in particular the Prime Minister, is, is, is held to account, really. And it, it used to be two 15-minute sessions, but I think Tony Blair amalgamated it into one massive 30-minute um, section that we get now at lunchtime. But actually, it didn't used to always be the way it is now, actually. It used to be that um, the Prime Minister, like any minister of the Crown, could just be asked questions in the House by any MP. And it actually, it actually only took the format that, that it's done because of um, Disraeli and Churchill. Actually, it was it was a courtesy to both of them when they were prime minister to have it so that PMQs would be on a set day so that they could they wouldn't have to spend all day in the house. Basically, I mean that's quite a good idea because as we've said, the prime minister's going to be a very busy role. So to tie them down a great amount of time to the House is probably not in the best interest of the country. However, on the flip side of that, only having one half an hour session per week, do you think that's a very good way to scrutinise the government, and in particular the Prime Minister? Oh no, I absolutely not. I think I'm happy with keeping this one, but I think at the minimum it should be replaced with another 30 minute session later on during the week, really, at a minimum. If not, could even be a daily briefing from the Prime Minister where he answers some questions. So almost go back to the COVID-style daily briefings where you had admittedly pre-prepared questions, but it was an opportunity for members of the public and the press alike to ask questions directly to the horse's mouth, if you will. Yeah, actually, I think that'd be an excellent idea. I think it'd be a really good way of keeping the Prime Minister in check almost and making sure that he's held accountable for his actions. Prime Minister is meant to be first amongst equals, but rarely we see that's the case as the Prime Minister almost takes a presidential role in modern politics, especially with the Tony Blair sofa-style government, in which they are seen to be the powerhouse and almost untamable. Yeah, actually, I think that's a really good way to describe it, that I think under Blair you had the consolidation of the Prime Minister's power, because I'd say maybe maybe even under Thatcher, actually, I think I think under Thatcher, you could begin to see the coalescing of, of, of a more powerful Prime Minister. Equally, it may just be to do with the personalities of, of Blair and Thatcher, because even in recent times, May has arguably been quite vacillating almost in, in her duties. I think it comes back to the strength of the government, really, because if a government's been given a mandate or a stronger mandate by having a lot of elected um, candidates, then it allows a more presidential in style ca uh, leader. However, this does also mean that there's the, not the ability to scrutinise as well, because they have more leverage to get things through the commons easier. I think this leads on nicely to the evolution of PMQs in that it's become more of a 
a time for sound bites, as they're often coined. I would agree with that, actually. And I think you've seen that really under May, particularly under May, with her strong and stable leadership soundbite. And I, I think, I think actually it shows the impact yes. maybe of social media, actually, rather interestingly. If you think about it, people's attention spans have been impacted by social media. They're able to focus less. So it's almost as though, it's almost as though the government is trying to adapt to that by, by having something that's easily digestible, easily sums up everything in like a few words. That's a really interesting point. And could this be seen as a dumbing down of politics? Because politics, we've said before, I think we've actually said it in every episode so far, is always going to be a very complex issue. It's never black and white. It's always a, a spectrum of colours. So I think this dumbing down, it almost makes politicians worse because they they only have to head for the headlines instead of putting in the groundwork. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree, actually. If you think about it, if you dumb down politics, if, you, if, if you're if you reductive with it, you, you don't have any nuance with it. It's, it's not nuanced anymore. It's either black or white. It's either left or right. It's not... Because by dumbing it down, you get rid of any subtlety almost. It's either this or that. It's not. It's nothing ever in between. It, that's a good point. Do, do you think this is going to be the end of... Because I'm leaning towards the end of the skilled politician, where there'd be the skilled orator that would could stand on stage for hours and deliver a speech that would have the audience captivated. Because I remember reading a, a very interesting article about one of my personal heroes, David Lloyd George. And they said that his voice would sing for hours and hours and people would just be captivated. And I always saw him as quite a skilled politician. And this was shown when he danced through the House of Lords, pushing the people's budget through. And as you said, with these just sound bites and these lack of attention span, I almost think that this is the new age of a very much a, a simple politician. One that only has to, as you said with May have a short catchphrase, strong and stable. Because there was a great cartoon from the Times and it put May's face upon it put May's face upon the Elizabeth Tower. Um, and she was representing Big Ben and it was bong, strong and stable, bong, strong and stable. I do agree that sound bites have become more prevalent and obviously I think they're playing a bigger part than they should in politics. But I'm not sure whether or not that necessarily means the death of a skilled skilled politician, because I I still think it is important that the prime minister is able to whip up people into a crowd, you know, win over their hearts and their minds. But I do think to an extent that we have seen, particularly MPs, you know, Cameron and May weren't awful by any chance, by by any means, but they weren't particularly really good orators or speech givers you know say what you will about boris johnson and his politics but he can give a surprisingly good speech when he wants to he can whip up a crowd i had the honor of having a reception with him at the stadium of light on the 21st of january which most people will remember as brexit day and he came on stage in almost a very understated presence but he came on stage with very few notes and he gave this speech, which maybe lasted 10 minutes. And obviously it was a conservative room and everyone in there was going to be a, a fairly large supporter of the party. But he had people hooked on every single word. And he did come up in his defence only with the names of the constituencies that the Conservatives had won from Labour. So I think you're right. I was probably being very negative. But like you said with the May and Cameron, years that we've just been through 
there was almost a decline of the the orator. I mean, just look at Nick Clegg. <laughs> oh yes, we can come back onto Clegg roasting. <laughs> One of our this should, could be a weekly um, a weekly segment almost. And welcome back to the roast of Nick Clegg. <laughs> Like, just look at his I'm sorry thing when he was apologizing for having raised the student, having raised student cost for university. I mean, it was not dissimilar to Ed Miliband. He was very much a, a pushed around leader of the Labour Party, Red Ed, as he was often dubbed. Because if you, there was a, a television program that was a bit like Spitting Image called Newsoids, and the premise was similar. And his catchphrase, if you will, on that, that they portrayed him as being as was, oh, well, at least I tried. And it kind of captivated, <laughs> yeah, it captivated the Labour manifesto of half-heartedness. And again, maybe it did reflect a, t- a lull in the speaking abilities of politicians. See, I think that it's not only a problem afflicting politicians, I think that in general, people are unable to speak like, like we once did, maybe because it's becoming a, a less useful, a less used skill. Yes, yeah, that's a that's a good point, and I, I think we've touched on that in lectures before. Actually, how oratory was once an art form; it was literally poetry just being recalled for the masses. Because if you look at the the Celts, the Romans, the ancient Greeks, it was such a, a skill. There was it was Plato even said it was like the Beastmaster with Plato. If you remember that analogy, oh yeah, yeah, I do. It's you know. It's like a, a tame, being able to tame an animal if you are a good orator because your words can whip uh, whip up a frenzy, but also control it to some degree. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, you know, a Cicero, famed Roman orator, could could move people to tears and move them to anger very easily. Because I th- I think a key thing with oratory is understanding people's emotions and, and how you can bend them to your will almost. Absolutely, and I, this leads quite onto a an interview that you reminded me of the Boris Johnson Newsnight interview. Oh yeah, it's a fabulous interview. Um, when they're talking about to give speeches, Boris Johnson is saying that you should use less Latin, less Greek words, origins, and you should use strong Anglo-Saxon words, which is quite ironic, considering <laughs> um, considering some of the stuff some of, some of the stuff he often comes out with. I think is often very do, very. do you have a favourite Borisian quote? Um, the one that he gave to the London Council was quite funny. The great supine protoplasmic invertebrate jellies. I, I was going to say that one. Yes, as myself, all lovingly rubbed with rubbed, uh, lovingly rubbed with rhubarb is also up there for me. Yeah, or when he goes on about whiff waff. <laughs> the French saw gâteau and we saw whiff waff. I mean, if you look back at history, there has been a lot of good orators. Hitler, for one, he's often regarded as one of the best orators of, you know, the past hundred years. Because credit where credit is due, and there is very limited credit to give to this man, his ability to whip up a nation, to hate hate a religion that was so undeserved of this hate oh absolutely absolutely but then again as i was saying the the, the the key the key behind oration is to bend people's hearts and minds to your will basically and whether or not that's for absolutely despicable evilness or or like a churchillian war speech it shows the range of 
of um, the oration can be used for, really. I often think about the old saying, sticks and stones may break my birds, but sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. When actually, if you look at modern politics, it's never, it's very rarely the sticks and the stones. It's very rarely a coup that does the damage. It's normally the words. And I think this is symbolic of PMQs in the fact that it, it should be a really powerful means. And it's unfortunate that it has become so, so dumbed oh, absolutely. down. Absolutely. And actually, I, th- I think a really good example of that would be the current Johnson and Starmer PMQs. Yes. Where to yes. summarize in two words, you almost have theatrics versus the cold analysis of Starmer. And which would be which in that case? Yeah, so yeah, so uh, the theatrics obviously would would be Boris Johnson. You know, he he tries to be funny, but it comes across, particularly in this climate, as quite underwhelming. Really, I think the time for for humour has passed. It's all well and good when he was mayor of London, and you know there was there was a few issues that he had to deal with, quite serious ones. But for the most part, it was almost ceremonial in the fact that it just gave him a, a soapbox to stand on and give these, as we've said, quite good speeches. But now he's in such a, a serious position that that just speaking in verbose, hyphenated sentences is just not going to cut the mustard towards, anymore. Um, Starber, I think show maybe maybe underpreparedness and that and he can't for lack of a better word he hasn't he hasn't bothered to come with anything better really like um yes yeah because on the 6th of may it was starmer's first pmqs as leader of the opposition and he led johnson into some really difficult traps and he was prepared with statistics figures graphs which while not everything it was almost, it reminded me of the recent interview with uh, Donald Trump. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. But to briefly go back to actually just some of Johnson's ridiculous um, stuff, some of the stuff he said, you know, it's like more briefs than Calvin Klein. It's almost as though, whilst yes, in the abstract, if, if you were just making that joke, that would be quite funny, maybe. I don't, I don't think it's even particularly a good joke. But to make it during PMQs to try and mock him... <laughs> Witty, witty yeah, perhaps. Wit, wit, yeah, more, more witty than funny. But to try and make that joke during PMQs is is a bit ridiculous because it, you know, because it is almost trying to mock him for being a barrister, which is ridiculous. It's perhaps it does represent the idea that we've already discussed, though, that it is just coming down to these uh, these simplified political points, and that he's hoping that with these quips. It'll get him out yeah, of that's quite true, tricky actually. situations it's true. to be in. No, I've never thought of that. Yeah, that could be a way of almost deflecting any real political discussion by simply going to things like that, almost. Because one has to remember, if you know, if on the evening news at night on a Wednesday following PMQs, uh, do they, would the BBC prefer to play uh, a long, well-prepared statement from Starmer, or would they prefer a, a funny little? tidbit of um more briefs than calvin klein it's i think it, it's a reflection oh, on the modern agree, but stance of it's almost as though politics has always been a spectacle you you know, both know that well from studying classical literature where politics is often theatrical but it all it always had a sense of seriousness grave grave yes 
duty almost. Whereas now it's see it's seen as though the theatrics lead the politics almost, as opposed to theatrics. Whilst yes, being a part and obviously leading into good good, good oration, it's almost as though the theatrics has overwhelmed the politics and kind of become become the thing that people watch it for. That's a really interesting point. It's it's like if Aristophanes became a speechwriter for the um, Agora. It, it, in I, I know it's probably a, <laughs> a unfair, but you know because in his plays it was mainly theatrics, obviously, but there would be the serious undertone, and it could be seen as a revival of this almost, like you say, theatrics leading the politics, which it might be a cure for apathy, but equally should politics. I think we're almost branching onto a debate of what should politics be? Should it be for everybody to enjoy or should it be for everybody to enjoy? I think really that you can still have a bit of entertainment, a bit of fun, but to underscore everything needs to be the seriousness of of what's being discussed because these things are not things that should be taken lightly, really. And I feel sometimes the humour can detract from that, really. Absolutely. I mean, the ex-Labour MP, Paul Finn, said that he would actually start to wince at the cruel nature of PMQs because he felt that it just got so almost playground tactics. Yeah, just a battle of insults instead of politics. Oh, absolutely, yeah, because um, I think you know Cameron used to make jokes about how Jamie Corbyn dressed. Yes. Almost, yes, I was no fan of Jamie Corbyn's dress sense. <laughs> oh, can we just quickly remember the Cenotaph incident? Yes. That's also true. He just, he came in the scruffiest coat you've ever seen. Oh, oh, he did, yeah. But then equally, from his point of view, him dressing doesn't detract from his political message. And actually, nor should it. Nor should it, really. It's a very good point. It's a, it's, because it's almost, if you're saying that the way that one dresses is responsible for politics. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely, almost absolutely. giving an elitist viewpoint. But, and I think by 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 going down those attack lines, you're you're almost ridiculing politics itself. You're, you're no longer taking it seriously. No, it's it's like you said in a previous episode. People almost have a think that there's a monopoly on what's right, and by having this monopoly, the politics no longer matter. It's it becomes of ah well, I've dressed appropriately in the case of David Cameron and. Jeremy Corbyn, therefore I must have the correct opinions. Whether their opinions were correct or yeah, wrong, actually, it still doesn't detract point, from almost. the argument. It's almost as though we're in government, we've, we've won, so therefore it doesn't really matter what we do politically, because we're because whatever we do will be right. Yeah. We have the mandate to do whatever we care to, so your your scrutiny is nearly meaningless. And that's that is a good point for a reflection on government. If they have a large majority, is the opposition scrutiny irrelevant except for causing perhaps distrust yeah, within that, the electorate? That's a very good point, actually. But I still think that government scrutinising government is, is, is highly important, but I do think you raise a good point that whether or not it's actually effective. I think that's a really interesting point because scrutiny is a cornerstone of a good democracy. And while it does sometimes make them inefficient, because like Douglas Hurd said, 
pressure groups are the serpents that strangle an efficient government, it's surely it's a sacrifice to efficiency is a sacrifice to make to make sure that it's working well because you could have an efficient machine, but if it doesn't do the job that it's meant to, is it really that efficient? Oh, absolutely. And actually, scrutinising the government could make it more efficient. For, for example, the government buying all those masks that don't actually work. Exactly. For the hospitals that they now have to, that's, that's millions of pounds they've spent. If that had been properly scrutinised, it would have been more efficient. Or you'd have hoped that somebody would have at least called them out for it <laughs> beforehand. But the crazy thing is, though, I'm pretty sure the, 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 the company that brought those masks from doesn't even produce masks. <laughs> I'm not sure what it actually does, but it definitely wasn't in producing masks. Very, very strange. I mean, it's it's like... I I used to work with a carpenter, and there was always the very clear thing, measure twice, cut once. And I think this can be applied to It's, you know, it should always check it. Because if you were to hand, say, an essay in, you wouldn't just write it and then go send or submit or whatever it is with Canvas these days. You know, you'd, you, you'd read it, you'd check it, you'd make sure that it was grammatically correct. And... So this is what scrutiny is there for. It's to dot the I's and cross the T's. And without it, it's we don't get that. And this is where mistakes oh, happen. Oh, yeah. I, I absolutely agree there. absolutely agree that stringent scrutiny is, is, is vital to government, which is why I'm quite a fan of the way that, that Starmer quite goes to town, really, in PMQs. Because mm. government should be held to account, always. If you look at wartime mistakes, a great deal of them, while... They had to act quickly. Were often were done hastily. It's so it, it was almost an unfortunate position that they were in. It was a catch twenty two position because they act. They had to act with haste, but these hasty decisions were often costly. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I, but, but 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 that's a completely exceptional circumstance. Oh yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, just yeah. As often. yeah. Yeah. That was just to, say, to clarify. Uh, I was say, actually, just as we find ourselves now, <laughs> equally, an equally an exceptional circumstance. <laughs> That's very true. So perhaps the mask issue should be not overlooked, but forgiven. But then again, it serves them right for not even buying a mask from, mask from a mask company. <laughs> <laughs> it'd, be like, it'd be like going to like um, Black, Blackwell's and ordering a pizza. <laughs> or a fishmonger and asking for some Wondering fruit. Wondering then, well, it's a bit subpar. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 really what they it's what they deserved, but it's unfortunate that it's the country that suffered for it. Absolutely, absolutely. But I I think actually key with this government at the moment is obviously they're they're spending an awful lot of money, but they they appear to be wasting a lot of it. Yes. Yeah, I'll agree with like, that. Like, track and trace the masks. It's showing perhaps that there's still not enough scrutiny, really. But that's that, that's less maybe the opposition opposition's fault and more internal. The government itself is, is, is not able to scrutinise itself sufficiently. That's a good point. Because a lot of... Uh, I think it was the ex-chief scientist. Uh, his name escapes me now. So Patrick he Ballant. even said that without a... Yes, I believe it was. He even said that without a, an, a, an active track and trace and an efficient one, that he believes I mean, there'll be a second We've already seen spike. recently, though, that the spikes are going up rather worryingly. So, That's true. 
There is a spike, but apparently it's not. There's fewer cases. I, I, it came up on Sky News. I know it's a Murdoch. I know it's one of the Murdochs. So there's fewer deaths because they've um, they've subtracted some deaths. Yes, I think the the death toll is more accurate now. Or it was. Oh, I I think figures are always going to be very hazy. Oh, absolutely, and I I don't think we should expect perfect figures. But I think the the growing trend is recently since they started easing restrictions, the infection rate has been going up and up. However, that does bring up a good point. There are now more tests, and while as we mentioned earlier, the Donald Trump interview, while what a lot of what he said, like the manuals, were irrelevant and quite pointless. He did bring up a good point that there will be more cases known in the US because they do do more testing. So this is a this is this could be seen for one of the reasons for a, a, a so-called spike in the UK because they are now testing a lot with a lot more vigor. That is very true, very true. And also just just so people are aware and that you're aware, the, uh, the government test and trace, the government spending 10 billion pounds on it and it doesn't even work my goodness that is a massive waste of government money without hoping to undercut the company which the government supplied if anybody from the hmrc or any other relevant company would like to listen i would be happily i would happily do it for five billion pounds and subcontract it to somebody else i don't know about you alex I mean, uh, I would also like to join in on that. I'm pretty sure the two of us could make, could probably do a better job. Sublet it. Find somebody on Fiverr to do it for t- £10. You need to make a government test and trace app for, for like £100. Yeah, sure, mate. Can we have it by tomorrow morning, please? Extradited delivery, please. <laughs> oh, Fiverr, the, mo- the modern sweatshop. But I find that a staggering amount of money really spent on something that doesn't even work. I think it shows... Uh... The panic, though, that's really set in, especially with the mismanagement. This was perhaps something that they thought they, if they just pumped lots of money true. into it, they might be able to that, get right straight away. That is true, but it doesn't even it doesn't even appear that it's even been costed because the labour asked for a breakdown, and the government didn't have one. Ah, could you imagine if the breakdown is one billion pounds on the app, eight billion pounds holiday to the mystique? <laughs> perhaps it's Nick Clegg still. Hello listener, I do apologise for a small interjection, but when reviewing the footage we decided that some of it may be wrongly misconstrued as slanderous comments, so we've redacted quite a bit of what we said. We hope you enjoy the rest of the podcast. Nick Clegg, under cabinet secretary, literally under the cabinet. <laughs> Just pickpocking um, handkerchiefs, silk handkerchiefs from the cabinet as they sit down. Yeah. Goodness me. So something we discussed earlier would be a people's PMQs like there was during the Corona briefings. Now, my only issue with this would be, I feel it would be cherry-picked answers, or questions rather, that would show the government in a favourable light. What's your um, thoughts on having a people's PMQs? Yeah, I do think that that could definitely be an issue. But the way you could get around it would be just to literally pull out a hat. <laughs> I'd quite like to see that, to be fair. Yeah, um, you just got the Speaker of the House to sat there with like a literal top hat, just shoving his hand in, just pulling out questions. (laughs) I think that could be make a very interesting segment of uh, PMQs. Could be, or they could even do it in like a tombola machine. (laughs) 
88? <laughs> Two fat ladies? 88. Who's number 88, please? I think you're right. I, I think my main issue, as I said, would be the cherry picks questions. But if you were to be able to get around that with a, a somewhat independent or random, as you said, way of allotting questions, that would be quite fair. However, there's also the large question of, would the Prime Minister want to answer the people's questions? Well, it doesn't really matter whether or not the Prime Minister wants to. The Prime, Prime Minister is elected by the people to serve the people, so he can just get on with it, really. That's very true. That's a good point. Prime Ministers often go on about the people's mandate, so if they're, <laughs> if they're so keen on that, I don't see why they wouldn't be as keen to answer questions. Absolutely. the public. Perhaps that would be an interesting... I, I do wonder if any um, manifestos have already said that in the past from a smaller party. Yeah, I'd be very interested to see that, actually. I mean, My... I personally would be in favour of it, actually. I, I, I feel as though it could be a very interesting way of um, scrutinising the government. But actually, it could also allow the government to gauge the mood of the country better. Yes, yeah. It, it might also be a way to a more efficient system of petitions. Because as we've already seen, petitions are, are fairly useless. You have to have 100,000 signatures to get a response. And then is it is it a million? I feel like it's a million to have it submitted for a possible debate. But even then, if it is debated, it can just be a backbench uh, business. So it's it's not really a it's not really a mandate to do anything. Whereas if we had this system, you could almost, in fact, a better way could be that you have a a weekly or bi monthly submit a question feature. And then you could get people to vote for the three questions, say, that were going to be asked to the Prime Minister. That would actually be a really interesting way of doing it, actually. And I think you make a very good point about petitions. Petitions, even even if they do reach the required signatories, they don't even require a proper government response. So I actually, I think our people's PMQ idea would maybe, would, would solve that almost. I, I do. I'm actually... Uh... <laughs> I'm quite in favour to this. I might pen a letter to my local MPs after this podcast. <laughs> it would <Good> be <laughs> good old Sir Edward Lee. Sir Edward Lee wants to recolonise um, Calais. <laughs> um, we'll put a link to that tweet in the blog post. <laughs> I yeah, that would that would be a really interesting idea because then you could still have it filtered by a backbench business committee that would ensure that you know it wasn't just some. Uh, maybe vile comments directed uh, but it would be a genuine true awesome to have you being like Boris what's yeah. my dog <laughs> Boris can you add me on FIFA whatever the youths of today play no that <laughs> so if you're listening we're going to start a petition because as we've just said they are they're incredibly useful and we're going to petition that the government replace petitions with a people's PMQ. Could you imagine that if, if it just got discussed by the Batman's committee and that was it? <laughs> oh, I think that would be very representative of petitions as a whole. It'd be like the episode of, uh, of Yes Minister where they're all, all about, oh, well, in theory we're in favour, but in reality it just wouldn't work. <laughs> yes, yes. And they all agree to that. And yeah, I feel they'd be like that, but in in theory, we all like this, but in reality, no. <laughs> I, I I think it would be something that everybody except the incumbent prime minister would enjoy. I mean, the opposition would probably love this idea. 
the opposition would have a field day. Oh, imagine. Because they could send emails out to their members to get them to sign to, you know, support specific questions. It's true. Uh, yeah, but um, it sounds a bit crazy on 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 outset, but now actually we're doing it a bit deeper. It's not actually that wild. It's not a it's not a wild thought, and perhaps it, again it might not cure apathy, but it might be a, a a a medicine, if you will, to relieve the symptoms of apathy to some degree. Oh, absolutely, because then people would feel more involved. Yeah, absolutely, because even if you don't submit the question you would be helping to promote a question to be asked. Absolutely. So, um, the Right Honourable Rhys Mogg, if you're listening, which I am sure you are, um, as leader of the House of Commons, uh, we put it to you, sir, to enact this. You'll be getting an email from us later. <laughs> no, I think a, a pigeon's more appropriate, if we're being honest. This is true. An, a nice handwritten letter. With a uh, signed with a quill, yes. sealed with wax and stamped with a signet ring. <laughs> quite, quite. Another thing I think we were discussing earlier is: should all of cabinet, should all cabinet ministers have like a PMQs? That's quite interesting. I mean, there are, because uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but through committees. They do have a moments of scrutiny, but it's not available for the entire Commons. I think that I think that is correct. And as we've said before, through the trustee model, perhaps it should be the jobs for our representatives to ask the questions that we can't personally. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think I think you know uh, I'm more I'm in favour of greater scrutiny of government, and I I think having every minister have their own question time could perhaps be a resolution to this absolutely it, yeah it would be a really interesting point that perhaps not to the same amounts that the prime minister is questioned but certain certainly a, a bi-monthly mm. uh, question time yeah exactly because then it might make them even more accountable than they already are it would, and as we've said, accountability is a, a great thing. Oh, absolutely. Another point, actually, that I just thought about with PMQs is is rather than just being... Obviously, I know that the official leader of the opposition gets six questions and then everyone else gets, I think, one or two. But do you think that it's fair that you know the SNP only get one question? Or that the Liberal Democrats only get one question? Oh, so, so are you suggesting that it should be proportional to the number of seats? Perhaps, perhaps, yes. But I, I was more thinking along the lines of that any party is in the party in power sh- should be allowed to ask as many questions as they feel sufficient, really. O- obviously within limits. Yeah, within reason. May- maybe a better way of doing it, and so it wouldn't be padded out as much, is if you had a question limit and a time limit. Oh, like the two urns? Yes, yes. That would be a really interesting system, then. As you just have to make sure that the prime minister didn't take his time to answer. Yeah, that's true. Just, just like, just some filibusting. <laughs> Although that would be quite an interest. It would be interesting to see some filibusting in British politics. I, think... I can only think of a handful of occasions where it's happened. Yeah, I mean, I'm kind of glad that it doesn't really happen. To be fair. 
Oh, absolutely. It's It really is a waste of everybody's time. I think quite a notable one is when Jacob Rees-Mogg was filibusting, filibusting the uh, sustainable livestock bill. And, the uh, only other example that comes to mind for me and on, is and on. in the early 20th century when they would filibuster women's suffrage. I, uh, one, one time I recall that they talked about uh, taillights for a good few hours so that it's never got on the docket. So actually, also just criticising the, the ridiculousness of, of, of uh, American politics and their filibusting, I, I, I've just remembered that actually Jacob Rees Morgan, who was filibusting, read a, read a rather long poem at the beginning. Apparently, this was on one of his mugs as a child. Let the wealthy and great roll in splendour and state. I envy the not. I declare it. I eat my own lamb, my own chickens and ham. I shear my own fleece and I wear it. I have lawns, I have bowers, I have fruits, I have flowers, the lark is my early alarm. So jolly boys now, here's Godspeed the plough, long life and success to the farmer. I mean, that's the builder's mug, surely. Yeah, there's another four verses there. It does. I I, I want to know if it was... It, goodness, because it's called Godspeed the plough, isn't it, the poem? I mean, at least not Godspeed the mug, apparently. <laughs> that must have been an absolute <laughs> huge mug. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Yeah, that's that's something else. That is that's. I think mine had Bob the Builder on when I was a child. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, I think I may have also had a Bob the Builder mug, but Jacob's got us beat there apparently with that <laughs> huge, huge mug. How was how as a child was he able to lift this mug of huge proportions up? He he wielded it with his great intellect. <laughs> he was using his telekinesis. <laughs> like Professor Xavier. Yes. <laughs> oh, excellent. But, yeah, I think it shows that while we're not immune to filibusting, the issue with time limits is that you will always have somebody, especially while ever we have such great orators, like Stammer is himself. If he was in power, I'm sure he could do the same. But as Boris is now, with such great orators, they'd be able to just fill the the gap of time. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and that's always a concern. But I'm quite glad that I think I, th I think the thing is in the UK at least is that Parliament will just end. It can't be like in America where Parliament will just keep going and going and going until somebody passes out. Which is it? it it's a war of attrition. It really is. Absolutely, absolutely. But then again, America does have a very backward system of politics. It, it certainly has an interesting one. Interesting is putting it nicely. I, I do often think whenever anyone rightly criticises the UK system of politics, it would be interesting to see their views on the American system. And maybe they would be more thankful for the system that we have. Absolutely. You never know, though, if um, America's anything to go by. Lord Alan Sugar will be the next Prime Minister of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Oh, I hope not. <laughs> yeah so the last t talking point we have for today actually is should pmqs even exist i mean that's interesting because we've as always we've been very critical without many without a pause for its positives but that could be because there are very few positives uh, for me i think at least it does show some scrutiny and while it might not be that great at least there's a there's a small 
it's part of scrutiny and it keeps the idea alive that the government should be held accountable and more specifically the prime minister should be held accountable yeah absolutely but it's i think an interesting point could be is pmqs actually what holds the prime minister responsible could, could it not just be like any other minister of the crown the questions can just be asked randomly because then they can't prepare that's true Again, it comes back to the point I said earlier about the skill of a politician. Having a, I, I, you're a fan of the thick of it. You've seen all the. It's when they when they're preparing Nicola Murray uh, when she's leader of the opposition. It, it, she even says that she has the question, the withering put down, and then the next question or something, and it shows that it's like you said, it's theatrics, it's rehearsed because they they know what's going to be asked. It's with corona especially and uh, care homes etc it's clear what the points of interest are going to be so one has to question whether like you said it would be better if it was off the cuff yeah absolutely i still think that perhaps you could have like a a hybrid image that three questions are known about and the rest could just be random ones oh that would be very interesting it would be interesting to see how people reacted as well and you might actually see a, a more honest and less refined opinion from the Prime Minister, which is always something that can be dangerous, but very interesting to see. Yeah, that's, that's very true, actually. Very true. It's like when, in an interview, a question throws them. Yeah, I've noticed that. And then that's always quite interesting, actually, to see then how they can recover from that. It shows, it shows what they're made of, almost. Yeah, 100%. Shows shows the um, their skill or perhaps lack of it. Yeah, I fear it's more the latter. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? Right, guys. So uh, that's all we have for you today. I'd just like to thank you all for listening to uh, Pause the Politics again. And once again, your feedback would be greatly appreciated. You can leave us a voice note on the Anchor website, and uh, we c- we can work our way through those. So yeah, once again, thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye. Excellent.